Welcome back to I'd Rather Be at the Beach, brought to you by me. I'm Simon and I run the Bonjour Agency. If you work in an independent school, then this is the podcast for you where we don't talk about work, but we do talk to people who work in the independent school sector. Now, today I'm talking to Nicholas Mackay. He runs Pursue Limited. That's P-E-R-S-Y-O-U Limited. They are a business that offers coaching programs to individuals and teams. I read that from his website and he does a lot of work in the independent school sector. So you may have seen him on LinkedIn. Now, I'd never met Nick before this recording, but I was keen to talk to him because he runs his own business. And I know some of the people listening to this right now wouldn't mind leaving the school where they work and running their own business, too. But what I didn't expect was to find out all the different things that Nick has done in his life, what else he does today when he's not working. And that might give an insight into the kind of person that he is. But don't just take it from me. Instead, you can listen to the man himself. So come with me. Let's jump into this episode of I'd Rather Be at the Beach as we talk to Nicholas Mackay. Nick, welcome to this episode of I'd Rather Be at the Beach. How are you doing today? Yeah, very good. Thanks for having me, Simon. Good to see you. It's good to see you too. Just for the sake of anyone listening to this, we're, we're recording online, but we can't actually see each other. Uh, Nick, you, you, you look like you're in a swanky office there. Tell me, tell, <laughs> tell me more about that. Uh, yes, yeah, so I'm at uh, my, my work HQ at the moment in the UK, and it's a shared office space, which we started using during lockdown, actually, to try and sort of get out of that uh, at the house. So it's a really interesting sort of creative hub, really. We have all sorts of people here from professional sports to marketing, the little cafe. Uh, there's a podcast recording studio, which we do a lot of work in. And they have lots of different uh, things going on in terms of meetings. They have something around uh, how to build businesses. It's a real a creative and business hub uh, in the Midlands. And it's been fantastic. And I guess it means that if you're working essentially working for yourself. I mean, I'm going to ask you a little bit about your business in a minute to find out how many people there are within your business. But I guess if you, people like us tend to do a lot of work from home. So having a space like that, I imagine is is good for a number of reasons, good to connect with other people, but also good to have that separation between work life and home life. Yeah. And I found that during lockdown, actually, Simon. I mean, I like to have a bit of separation between work and play, so to speak. So it's been nice to come here, meet different people, uh, and again, I work mainly in the education sector. Um, so there's people here from all different walks of life. And that's really, really energizing for me personally. Mm. And you get a lot of people who work, who have their own business here, who, who don't want to be, I suppose, isolated. So they come together and then you build different kind of relationships with people. Mm. Uh, people come and go and, and people, there's different kind of levels of membership. So you see some people on the hot desking, some people have their own office. But it's more of, I suppose, a community that you get different people involved with. So you're not, I suppose, sitting in your... Uh, in your house trying to wave through emails and, and do a lot of things online on your own. Now, as we all know, this is not a podcast where people are meant to be talking at length about their work, but just for the sake of context so that people understand what, what you do in the independent school sector, just give it to us in a nutshell what your business does. So we, we empower people to flourish, Simon. Oh, okay, right. Tell me more. <laughs> <laughs> um, and we, we do that through a number of ways. So we do that through um, one-to-one executive coaching and creating uh, coherence and, and flow in individuals. Uh, and also with team coaching, which is the biggest growing coaching sector, um, not necessarily education, but but generally. And we also do coaching culture awards with organisations. So that's looking at different stakeholders and, and getting people to create an environment that encourages engagement and learning and empowering people to succeed and flourish. Uh, and then we also work with a, a number of partners around, I suppose, more holistic things such as nutrition. Uh, we do things around AI. Uh, we do things around um, professional sports or decision making. Uh, we use some somatic coaches in terms of using the, using the body. So 
lots of stuff I suppose to wrap around empowering people to flourish from whatever setting that they're working in. And it sounds like it's predominantly in the independent school sector, but not exclusively. Is that right? Yeah. So my background is in education. So we've been going about nearly eight years now. Uh, and um, yes, mainly in the education sector, independent, uh, international, and a little bit of higher education, um, and also a little bit of professional sports as well. So we're kind of branching out into different areas and a little bit of corporate stuff that we've done. And as the, the business develops, you know, we're, we're really passionate about getting the best thinking. So going back to what I was saying, Simon, about working in a place like we're working here, you know, you're drawing on the best thinking and bringing that into the work that you do. And, you know, people are people. And, uh, you know, lots of stuff that we can do with, um, with these experts and guest contributors and, and partners um, can really support people in whatever, I suppose, work situation or environment they're in. Now, some of the people listening to this may well work in a school right now, but they're actually wanting to break out of that and do their own thing as well. Have you been essentially working for yourself for, for a long time or did you ever work in the corporate world or did you work in a school or anything like that? Yeah, so I suppose I've had a bit of an, an eclectic, um, some would say rich, Simon. And, but when, I, when I've been for interviews previously, some people say I, I kind of, you know, flit around a bit. So it can be good good and bad. But I, I've worked in schools and edu- education. Um, so I was a, a head for a short time in Boston, Massachusetts. I've worked and leading schools in China, in Egypt, uh, and also Japan. What Working out there and living out there as well in these places. Yeah. Yeah, um, and, and also in the US and also in the independent state sector in the UK. So I've lived in um, Bradford in the UK, working in a school in special measures up there. And I've also worked down in international schools down in Kent. And I suppose it, my, the education part took me all over the place. So I was really passionate about um, travel as well. And I still travel a lot for work, actually. So, yeah, I mean, I've worked in education for a long time. And prior to that, I was a professional musician. Huh, no way. Tell me more about that. What did you play? I played the bassoon. No way. So did you play that as part of an orchestra then? I did, yeah, yeah. So um, I went to music college. I was always massively into singing. I just loved singing, still still do. And playing the bassoon, which I played, I started actually when I was about 14, so it was quite late really. I hadn't got a musical background or family or anything, and uh, I was heavily into sports. So I was, you know, playing football for the county, swimming for the county, playing cricket for the county, etc. Then my knees sort of gave way and I had to have operations on both my knees. Um, and then I couldn't really do a lot of that. So I thought, well, what am I going to do? That's going to, I suppose, keep me engaged. And um, the music was, I found, fantastically social. So I made some great um, friends. And I was um, living in Northampton. So I was born and brought up in Northampton. And they had one of the best, well, they still have one of the best music services in the UK. Um, there's not much else going for Northampton, really. But, <laughs> but <laughs> there's, there's, there's three things going for Northampton, so I'm really, for me. There's the education in terms of the, uh, the music. There's the rugby. And it's the best place for shoes. Best place for shoes? Yeah, yeah. It's the epicentre of uh, the best shoe brands in Northamptonshire. I never knew that. I had no idea about that. Oh, yeah, yeah. But I guess as well, being in Northamptonshire, you, you've got easy access to pretty much everywhere in, everywhere in the UK. I did, yeah. I mean, I, I didn't do much much travelling, but you know, I was in Northampton until the age of nearly 19, actually, and then um, went to music college went through the system to play the county orchestras, went to music college in London. And then, um, yeah, spent five years at Trinity College of Music and did a degree and master's in performance, which is quite full on, actually. It wasn't like a, a typical university experience. I think if I had my time again, I'd probably do something else in terms of the university experience because it was full on. You know, it was, you know, we, we got six weeks off, seven weeks off of the summer and we were working with, you know, the principal of the London Symphony Orchestra. So people, you know, was, 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 was teaching me then you have concerts all the time you have exams you have technical stuff so it's really immersed in the actual music business rather than being separated so you couldn't mess around too well you could and I did but you couldn't mess around too much in terms of um, 
I suppose, the people you're working with because they were in the industry. Mm, mm. So they were they were the pathway through, you know, if you had an, a technical exam, then if you got the Prince with the London Symphony Orchestra, Prince of Bassoonist there, you know, you want to make a good impression. So it's amazing hearing you talk about that. I mean, I had no idea about any of this kind of background. And yet you ended up working in these different countries, working in the school sector. <laughs> yeah. What happened, you mean? Mm, yeah, yeah, exactly that. <laughs> how, how did you jump from one to the other? Because they are very, very different, aren't they? I was, I was playing in a little bit in the West End. I was going on tour with some West End musicals and I was playing, I, I started to, to travel. So I started to play, I was playing in the Macau Chamber Orchestra. Um, I played in the Bombay Chamber Orchestra. So I was going to Bombay, well, Mumbai, but the Bombay Chamber was for quite a few times. Mm -hmm. And every time I was going to these places, I, I was traveling. So if I went over to, to Mumbai, it was maybe for, for two-week post there. So I, what I used to do is play in the orchestra and I used to teach some of the, the, the local schools and go into schools and do things. So what I'll say to them is, oh, could you, you know, can you get my flights two weeks before? And then what I can do is I'll backpack mm -hmm. for a couple of weeks. It's no extra cost for you. And then I'll, after I backpack to cross India for two or three weeks, I'll come to you in Mumbai and um, I'll make my own way there. Don't worry about it. Fine. And then I'll do what we need to do. We'll do the concert. I'll do the teaching. And then I'll just come back. And then I was doing that. Really enjoyed the traveling. Did that in Macau and, and did various stuff. And then I kind of got to a stage where I thought, I'm doing a little bit Perry teaching in London on the side. And... To make it in music, you've got to dedicate your life to it, really. And it, it's a hard, it's hard. You know, it's, it's freelance. Um, it, it's a lifelong, I suppose, vocation. And I thought, do I really want to be making reads? And this is no slight of people who want to do this, you know, and playing in this level. And I thought, probably not. But what am I enjoying? Well, I'm enjoying, you know, I've always enjoyed working with people. So I enjoy the teaching side of it. I also enjoy, enjoyed working as a team in terms of a section or an orchestra to put on a performance. So then I went to, I thought, well, actually, it's time to change this, which I've, I've done quite a few times in my life. And I thought, well, let's go to Japan. And I saw a little clipping in a paper. And I thought, well, that looks interesting. I think I was about 25 at the time and uh, went to Japan. Oh, on your own? Yeah, yeah, without three weeks' notice. Um, and um, I was young and impressionable, as mm -hmm. I suppose. Mm -hmm. But yeah, and then um, I did that. And then I started teaching English in Japan and stayed there for three years and did lots of traveling around there and had a fantastic time working with people from New Zealand, mostly Western nation, New Zealand, Canada, America, the UK, and Stan became a sort of language leader in these schools across Japan. And that was fantastic. And I met some again, wonderful experiences there. And then I um, sort of got to the stage where I thought well, this isn't going anywhere really. So I've got a master's in music and I've been doing my music. I kind of left that go a little bit. So I thought, well, I really enjoy the, um, the teaching, working with people. So I came back to the UK and uh, came back from to Tokyo to Bradford. That's uh, a very different place to, to Japan <laughs> in every sense. <laughs> it was. And I, I, did a, I did a GGTP. So I learned to teach through that, that kind of route and uh, worked in, in Queensbury in Bradford, which is a school in special measures at the time. And I worked in Brickhouse and Loved it. It's my, probably my best ever teaching experience with the, the kids there. And, and then I got to the stage there, I was head, head of music, you know, getting good Ofsteds and, and everything else. And then I thought, well, actually, what's next? So then I went to Cairo. And again, so that was the right thing. And I had a, I had an, I had a couple of offers. I had an off, offer from um, Kiev, a school in Kiev, Kiev. I had an offer from school in Cairo. And the one that I really wanted was Bangladesh. Mm -hmm. But I didn't get offered that because it was an IB and I hadn't quite got the IB experience. They said, come back next year. So I was, I was a little bit gutted with that. So I ended up in Cairo, um, and that was, again, fantastic experience. There's some wonderful transmits and great people. Um, and I was there in, during the, I suppose, the Arab Spring, as they called it. So that was icy. Um, and then after that, I thought, well, I've come to the end of this, and I became head of, well, 
um, deputy head of secondary school at a school in Guangzhou, started their sixth form. So I built the music department at, in Cairo. There wasn't a music department at all, so we built that from scratch. Went to Guangzhou in southern China, and then we built the sixth form there for the first time. And then from then I went back to the UK. Tell me about travelling on your own. I'm thinking about when you said about arriving in India two weeks before you needed to be there. What was that like? Well, that was Japan. Ah. That was Japan. But um, yes, oh, sorry, but yeah, arriving in India and backpacking. Again, it was, looking back, it was one of those things where it's just let, get a little backpack, it'll be fine. So, I mean, I remember going over there with my bassoon, which is worth, at that time, about five or six thousand pounds. So I was landed, hadn't booked anything, landed in the middle of the night in Delhi. Thought, I'll be fine. <laughs> got, I got a taxi in and then found a little place, stayed there for a while, got, got you know, met a couple of people to do when, you, when you're travelling and then left my bassoon at this place in the middle of Delhi. Thought, I'll be fine. And then went on that particular one, went across to Agra, of course, Varanasi, and then to Sikkim, so Gantok, mm-hmm. Darjeeling, the other side, mm-hmm. and then right the way back again. And then got my bassoon and it was there. And I thought, well, yeah, of course it's going to be there. It's, you know, people are generally good people. They looked after it, had a fantastic time, and then I flew down to Mumbai. So it was, let's go and see what the world's about. Let's go and experience this and let's put myself out there a bit, you know? Sometimes people say that when they travel on their own, they, they experience some amazing things and meet some amazing people, but then they they miss that 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 little act of sharing a moment with somebody else. How did you find sort of having incredible moments but not having anybody to share them with? Well, I've, I've done both. I've travelled with people and I've travelled on my own. I suppose the good side of travelling on your own is it, I suppose it makes you meet other people. So I remember uh, a sunrise in... Darjeeling, I think, and I met a couple of people. One guy I'm still in touch with, actually, from Spain, and, and then a couple of other people from maybe Germany, and we kind of met in this bar, having a few drinks. So we all got up together and watched the sunrise over Kach and Tonga, you know, over the Him- Him- Himalayas. So I did share it with people, and it's people that maybe if I'd have been with someone else, I'd never have met. Mm. On the flip side, I've also travelled with people, you know, over the years and, and various places, and all over the place, and um, that's been nice because I suppose it's a bit more of a, uh, I suppose... A shared voyage mm, mm. of the whole thing rather than just little pockets of, of, of meeting people so there's good and bad to both i suppose it's interesting you just gave two different scenarios one of traveling alone one of traveling with other people and you you brought out the positives of each of those you strike me therefore as a fairly optimistic kind of person is that fair no, i think so i mean i think you know i'm i'm, I'm 45 now so i suppose it's not old but i suppose as you get older do you, do you get a little bit more realistic rather than optimistic i think i'm an, an you know i'm looking at seeing the, the best things in people in life. And um, generally, in my experience, and again, there's been tough times, you know, as everyone goes through tough times, and travelling-wise, I've been in some situations which, looking back, were not good, and I've been mugged a couple of times, etc. But generally, people are nice. And, you know, you've got to trust, trust and, and that you'd be okay. And I think that maybe comes with a, I don't know, with doing it more, you become more, I suppose, confident in that you can drop me anywhere. And I'll see this teacher with kids and I suppose people who are listening and people that their confidence, you can drop me anywhere and I'll be okay. You talk about as we get older, we go from being op- optimistic to being a bit more realistic, possibly. How do we stop ourselves from becoming, I was going to say grumpy old men, but grumpy old people? <laughs> <laughs> Every, everything. I mean, I'm doing a lot of work at the night around self-awareness mm. in terms of the stuff that we're bringing into, into, into coaching and, and the lady I'm working with who's done, who's done a PhD in self-awareness, do you believe? And I think it is just noticing things. So, it's, you know, we, we, we go through different, st- every, we all go through different stages in life. And I think it's about appreciating where you are in that particular moment. So, you know, would I fly around like I did before? I mean, I was never one of these people who had a, a map who put pins in it. I thought that, that wasn't really me. I didn't do it for that outwardly. But inwardly, it was like, 
let's go and discover you know life's short let's let's go and see see things so I don't think I'd, I'd be as gung-ho as I was previously but I hope I'll still be as optimistic as I do now to travel around and to sort of have the same open-minded approach mm. which I think when you have more responsibility sometimes that can be more difficult I suppose to to, to recognize. So how do you get the balance then between running your own business and well, I was going to say like you know work work life balance, but but actually I'm, it's bigger than that. It's more about you know how do you get the balance between running your own business and and traveling around the world and doing those kinds of things that that you seem to really enjoy doing, or do you try to combine them? So when you're still when you're traveling now for work, you 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 have a bit of downtime on those trips as well. Yeah, exactly right. So what what I'll do now is rather than charging, I mean some of the things I should do, you know. Which, really when you're younger ridiculous in terms of flying around the world in time zones and jumping from here to there so now it's like if i've got if i'm going out to the far east or the middle east or wherever it is actually and even being in the uk you're thinking well actually how can i make this work better for me hmm. in terms of maybe i need an extra day just to get over the jet lag rather than you know jumping straight into a meeting after you've flown 13 hours which i've done previously you know remember i remember once i did i think it was like 12 cities in 11 days across china doing student recruitment oh, wow and it was astonishing but at the end of that it, it was all you know i was i was i was broken really and it wasn't just flying it was it was planes trains and automobiles it was it was everywhere and i, I met some lovely people because you know the reps in the country were brilliant and i traveled around with them everything else but you come back and say well you don't really see much really um so i think it is about i suppose being more kind to yourself or as you get older maybe or more experienced say well i know what works for me here i know what's not going to work with, for me uh, and making that those decisions prior to kind of jumping into something. You mentioned planes, trains, and automobiles. It's a film that's close to my heart. Uh, John Candy and Steve Martin. Uh, for anyone that doesn't know the film, what what kind of films are you into when you're when you when you're having a bit of downtime? I don't watch many many films, Simon. To be honest, did you used to when you were younger? No, I mean I, I never really had a. I think I had a Commodore sixty four for about three months when I was younger, but. I, <laughs> I was never really in, in into computers. I was always out out playing sport, doing something, playing music, and, and even now, actually, I mean, I like to watch YouTube and different things. I mean, you know, I love sports. So I'm a I'm a Saints uh, Northampton Saints member from rugby. So I go back to Northampton for the first time in like 20, 22 years um, recently. But I love rugby. Always, always do, and I love the, the live stuff. So I go and watch that. So I watch things on YouTube about the Saints or catch up on the rugby. So I use kind of YouTube rather than watching films. And then, you know, I like football, cricket. I swim a lot. I love being in water, so I swim a lot. Mm. And then the music side is a side that I think when I was in school leadership, I neglected, if I'm, if I'm honest. So I do African drumming in, in Leamington, and it's fantastic. It's, 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 <laughs> Why am I not surprised to hear that you did African drumming in Leamington, of all places? <laughs> yeah, it's, there's a guy, Via, and he's from um, Senegal. And um, when I was living in Bradford, actually, I used to do it there, and there's... there's the, um, VA knows the guy up, up in um, up in near near Bradford as well. So when I came here, I've been here six years now. I looked around and I thought, oh, that's interesting. That's a, that's a sign that maybe I'm in the right place. Mm. So do African drumming that the the creativity and the vibe you get from that, you know, the rhythms and I think also when you've got somebody who's at the top of their game, like you know, watching VA drum sends I'm thinking like now sends you know hairs in the back of my neck standing up because he's just so good. And it's just that's just you know absolutely superb is what he was kind of born to do so i do that and and i try and sing in choirs as much as i can not I suppose um more for a lot of the fun and social side but i think singing for me is if i'm not doing that i know i notice the difference so i suppose it, it's it's the kind of fitness side of it keeping my, my, my body fit and doing little bits and the mindfulness side but also actually being creative which for me i know 
can slip if I spend too much time focusing on the business, you know, mm. rather than having a more balanced, as you said, um, Simon, more balanced kind of palette of things that I'm doing. And when you sing, what kind of music do you enjoy singing? Well, with, with a choir, we do, we, we do all sorts. We, you know, we, we do things like Take That and everything else. So nothing's perfect, but I love singing uh, Renaissance music. Okay. All right. So who are we talking about there? Things like Palestrina, uh, uh, Birds, those kind of people, Victoria, you know, um, Palestrina. It's just lovely, lovely polyphony. So it's, it's just pure pure sounds and it was kind of before a lot of the dissonance that that came in later in music so it's a lot of I suppose mimicking each other's parts there's not really a um a theme sometimes so you're all just as important as each other and you've got to listen and and, and to each other to to sort of put it all together and it's very pure and the, the, the sounds are pure it's very open in latin so that kind of stuff is, I think, it's just astonishing. Kind of Thomas Tallis, then that kind of music. Thomas Tallis, yeah, yeah, that's exactly right. Yeah. Now, Nick, you strike me as the kind of person then who likes to take up new things, try out kind of everything. You know, if someone knocked on your door and said, "Hey, we're starting a new whatever it is, club, society, association. Do you want to join in?" Your your default answer is likely to be yes. Is that right? I like learning, Simon. So I like learning. So you know, just new things interest me. I think there's, there's also, I think, historically, maybe I've probably too much, and that's something that I had to watch in terms if you try and fit too much in. Sometimes just, you know, just chill out a bit here. But I like new things. I like learning and, and um, being part of new initiatives or whatever it is. You mentioned about YouTube and watching sport things on, on YouTube. If, if we looked at your YouTube suggested videos, what kind of things would we see in it? Because you, you can tell a lot about a person if you saw their suggested videos. I quite like um, cooking. So um, I look at some, some cook shows. I uh, look at a lot of reruns of rugby games, whether it's England games, British and Irish Lions, which uh, I think is fantastic. Again, there's four nations coming together to play in a, in a different country. I think that's, that's wonderful stuff. So a lot of the history to add around that. Not so much football anymore. You know, other sports, I love things like swimming. So seeing people um, doing challenges I quite like as well. You know, so p- putting themselves, I suppose, out there, head of the power pit. I quite like those those kind of videos, you know. And regarding learning different things, I mean, what what what's, what sort of things might you want to learn in the future? Well, at the moment, in, in terms, I suppose, that the stuff I'm doing with coaching and work, working with people, I'm very interested in doing a lot more somatic stuff. So about three years ago, before lockdown, actually, I was doing a lot of yoga. So I got into yoga and really loved it. You know, I ne- never thought I'd be the person who could do that. And it took me a bit of a time to, to actually sort of get into it. But using the body, so, you know, I did a Tai Chi and mindfulness and meditation and what and what the body's saying and, and tuning into that, I find it's really, really fascinating stuff. So I'm starting to look and, and work with some people around that in terms of what they can bring and sort of learning from them around that. So that's one thing. And I think in terms of sport and things, I, because I've, I've had quite bad knees most of my life. You mentioned them earlier, yeah. <laughs> yeah, so I've never really been able to run properly. And I love being in the water. Any water is fine, so... So I think I'm I'm gearing up a little bit to start running a, a little bit more, and I think there's something about a bit of freedom. I'm not not talking about ultra marathons and things here, you know, but I just sort of just to sort of lean into that in terms of I suppose just getting the body moving in different ways. Mm. Um, and I think alongside that, I, I want to get a wetsuit and, and get sh- wild wild swimming that kind of stuff. You know, went out to the Lake District not so long ago and can't believe how many people have got kayaks and all sorts of people now on on the lakes. You know. And I thought, oh, I quite fancy that. So I think I had to sort of get into a little bit of um, supping and uh, stand-up paddleboarding and that kind of th- stuff. Quite interesting. 
So you mentioned earlier that, that you're 45. Traditionally, the age of retirement for men in the UK was 65. I can't see you as being the kind of person who in 20 years time is going to sit down with the crossword in the Times and sit there quietly and do that. Do you think you'll always stay active both from sport, but also learning new things, also maybe still working at that point in life? I'd like to. I think I'm the kind of person, and I was happy since I was a lad, in terms of I'd like to have something to go for. It doesn't have to be work. You know, it could be learning a new song. It could be being part of, of, of something. It could be learning a new skill. It could be going, I like using my hands. I mean, when I was younger, I did a lot of work in factories and, you know, and stuff. And I love that. And after, if I had my, my, my time again, I, I like the physical work. I did a lot of delivery driving when I was younger. And a lot of manual, you know, physical stuff. And I think if, I'd like to, I like working in the woods. So I'd like to do some carpentry stuff. So I think I'll always be that kind of person who likes to sort of try new things out. There's nothing any really brilliant at it. It's not about, I suppose, being the best carpenter in the world, but actually just sort of saying, okay, well, let's give it a go. Whether that's work or not, hopefully I can afford to <laughs> not work, you know, at, at it too hard for, you know, but I think I'm the kind of person I need a bit of a purpose, I think. No, I, no, I love it. I love it. Uh, Nick, keeping an eye on time here, if anyone wants to connect with you online, what's the best way they should do that? Um, well, there's a couple of ways, actually. Obviously, I'm on quite... Uh, frequent on LinkedIn. So Nicholas Mackay will pursue P-E-R-S-Y-O-U. We also got a YouTube channel, which we're starting to put some some good content up. Like um, people always ask me, well, what does a coach do, professional coach do? Mm. So we're starting to put some insider videos on there about some of our traveling and, and what we do behind the scenes a little bit. So people connect through that. And our, on our website, which has got lots of information, uh, pursue.com. Um, I also had a um, a podcast which we haven't done for a while now, but that's the Inspiring Leadership Podcast, which people might be interested in that. And a couple of years ago, we wrote a book called Always Coaching, which is how to create coaching culture in schools. You can get that on Amazon um, if people are interested in looking at coaching in more detail. Fantastic. Well, look, five different ways to get in touch with you there. We'll put links to all five in the show notes. So if anyone's listening to this right now and wants to find out more about Nick, then that's a good way to do that. But Nick, in the meantime, it's been great talking to you, but great to find out more about you. Really interesting person, I must say. But thanks very much for your time. It's been been great having you here on I'd Rather Be at the Beach. Yeah, thanks, Simon. Thanks for inviting me. So that was Nicholas Mackay coming to us from sunny Leamington Spa, giving us an insight into all parts of his life and different parts of the globe as well, with the exception of Antarctica. Although I kind of feel like if I'd asked him about that too, then I wouldn't be surprised to find out he'd been there as well. Nick, it was really good to talk to you, to connect with you properly, to hear about your life and to share that with listeners on this podcast. Thank you for taking 25 minutes out to talk to us today. Now, if you'd like to be a guest on a future episode of I'd Rather Be at the Beach, then do just drop me a message. I'm Simon at thebonjouragency.com. We make podcasts for school marketing to help connect you with your school community to drive up new inquiries from prospective parents. To find out more, just check out our website, www.thebonjouragency.com, or give me a call on 020-7858-2246. But in the meantime, the next episode is coming out soon, so click that option to follow or subscribe, and that just means you won't miss it. We'll see you next time. Bye for now.